I'm Kelsey. I'm Cassie. And I'm Nolan from SCP Weekly. We bring you news from on-site and off-site. And we share your love for the creative community that surrounds the SCP Wiki. Join us on Tuesdays for new episodes, wherever you listen to podcasts, or on YouTube at SCP Weekly. Welcome to the library, Wanderer. Our rules are three. Respect your fellow patrons. Do not damage the library. Return your books on time. You'll need a card to check out, of course. See the front desk for that. It should be just under a week's journey from here. You'll have to give the archivist your true name, but don't worry. We'll keep it under the strictest levels of security. Oh, and stay away from locked doors. There are places here where even we will not protect you. We would like to extend a special thanks to our associate producers, Dr. Theron Sherman, Sogapple, Adrian, Ethan Childers, Uncertainty Crossing, Angie Oriana, Cameron Schaus, Lisa Person, and Salem. What you are hearing is the result of their generous support. Now please, sit back and enjoy The Journal of Aphromos Long Journey. Marday, 24th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn. 83rd day in the trees. Today, I learned a bit more of Torn. He will not tell me how he came to be in the woods, but at least he told me more of himself. He is of a people who build boats and travel on rivers. They have no homeland of their own, but move through the lands of others, trading as they go. He grew up on his uncle's boat, learning that trade. I asked if all of his people dressed as he did. He laughed for a moment, and then said that while few dressed quite as he did, they did like clothes of several colours. Fools and other travelling entertainers are often dressed in bright garish clothing, which serves as a warning to others, much like certain poisonous frogs. He pointed to a butterfly. It was pale blue with yellow eye spots on its wings, with a wingspan the length of one of his fingers. That is where we get our fashion, he said. The original trendsetters themselves. I thought he was joking, but he told me a legend among his people. Long ago, the first people came to be. They were not human. There were no humans then, nor Barrow, nor Darawai, nor the Pale Ones. There was only one people in those days, and they are the ancestors for all the rest. The youngest daughters of the first man was called Illuwen. She was beautiful, but was very proud. They wore clothing even then, but it was simple, plain, and unpleasant to look upon. So she went to the flowers and the plains and asked if they would lend her their colour. They loved her, and so did as she asked, changing her clothing until they had put every colour in them. It looked better now. But it was not enough. 
Drape colourful rags on yourself, and they are still rags. She next went to the lion on his hill. She asked if he would cut the fabric into new shapes. The lion loved her and did as she asked, letting her guide his claws over the fabric. Her clothes were now in regular shapes, but still were not enough. They merely covered her body. They did not match its shape. So she went to old Aunt Spider, who had given them the first fabric, and asked if she could help her to put the pieces back together in a new shape. Unlike the flowers or the lion, old Aunt Spider had no special love for Iluen. But she loved beauty, and for beauty's sake she agreed. She created silk with which Iluen sewed the fabric together, using a thorn as a needle. Finally, Iluen had her new clothing, the first dress. She was very proud of her dress and walked through the forest, eager to show it off to other people. However, before she could reach the village, she was met by the spirit of an oak tree. Now, even then, this oak spirit was very old. She was almost as old as Aunt Spider, but she did not love beauty. She hated it, for she had been beautiful once. She set upon Iluen, tearing her dress to shreds. There, she said. No one will see your pretty clothing. Iluen did not cry, for the first of the really bad things had yet to happen, and the first tear had yet to be shred. But she was sad that none of the others would get to see the dress she had worked so hard on. The spirits of the air saw all of this. They had watched as Iluen had worked so hard and felt it wasn't fair for something that meant so much to her to be destroyed. They could not repair the dress, but they could let others see what she had done. They gave life to the shreds of the dress until they began to move. They became the first butterflies, and they brought beauty to the world ever since. Iluin would go on to make other dresses and invent other new styles of clothing, becoming the mother of tailors and seamstresses. As for the old oak spirit, the other spirits took pity on her. She was reborn as the first pine, a tree that is beautiful even in the winter. In the end, the spirit would learn that it wasn't beauty that made her happy. But that is another story. It was an interesting story. It is a strange thought that all people could be descended from the same tribe. Of course, all species are believed to be related, if not as closely as Torn's story would indicate, with the exception of the Revision and Oversight Committee, naturally. I find it to be unlikely myself. Humans are far more like apes than they are like Barrow, as we are more like dragons or lizards. Still, I would not be ashamed to share some kinship with Torn, Srebek, Maish, Twisthorn, or any of the other people I have met on my journey. Sky Day, 24th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn, 84th day in the trees. I think that Torn has been hurt terribly. Not physically, at least not in any permanent fashion, but in his mind and his heart. He laughs, he smiles, but there is something just on the edge of his smile, at the back of his eyes, like something hunted. I had not noticed it before but he does not sleep wrapped up very tightly in the blankets. He always loosens them before going to sleep. 
When we make camp, his eyes keep moving, as though searching for some hidden danger. Were these things not there before, or did I simply not notice them until now? Last night, he woke up screaming. There was a moment when he didn't seem to know me or where he was. He tore the blankets from his body and huddled against a tree. He didn't speak for a moment and then told me it was merely a bad dream. A bad dream, perhaps, but no mere horodak. No, this was a Tredak or a Naroda. The Barrow have a hierarchy of dreams. A horodak, literally a fog dream, is a mild nightmare. A Tredak is a fear or terror dream, and much worse. Finally, a Naroda, which translates very roughly to trance, is a state in which one spouts visions. Like many nomadic, spiritualistic cultures, Barrow are highly susceptible to prophecy and other undesirable magical effects. Since he did not chant any prophecies, I must assume it was a Tredak. What happened to him that he should have so much fear? Why does he hide it so carefully? I knew there were things he did not wish to speak of, but I had not realised how terrible his fears might be. I will need to be careful with him. I wish my second father were here. He would know the words that would unlock those fears, and he would know how to enter Torn's Dacrame to help conquer them. I wish that I could ward his soul so easily. All I can do is listen well, and hope that when the time comes, he will trust me. He has saved me several times, as I have saved him. He is not clan, but he is as close a friend as I could wish, and it tears me inside to know he is in pain. This morning he was himself again, making little songs. But there was a crack in his mask. He seemed too intent to convince me, and was therefore not convincing at all. But if he does not wish to broach the subject now, I will let it rest. It will do no good to force him, and may indeed do harm. Beer Day, 24th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn. 86th day in the trees. We are currently staying in the home of a tree. It says we may call it Branching Early. It is not its name, but it says that its name cannot be spoken. It can be smelled and felt and digested, but it cannot be said, because that is not the language of the trees, which is passed from root to root all across the forest. Branching Early is a very rough approximation of his name, much as Rising Whistle Two Clicks was a rough approximation of the name of Twisthorn's friend. It is a fruit tree, bearing something called a wise plum. The wise plum, Prunus sapiens, are very cordial hosts. However, take care not to use fire carelessly, or to otherwise show a lack of care for the tree's sensitivities. Though the Esturard's paper, Five Days with Many Flowers, is an excellent primer for anyone planning to visit one of these unusual vegetable intelligences. It offered several to us, which I ate. Torn begged off, looking somewhat nauseous. He told me privately he did not like the idea of eating something that grew from a person. I understand the sentiment, but branching early was very insistent. 
It speaks by means of a bellows and something that resembles a metal horn attached to a flute. Branches work the bellows while the finger-like twigs work in the instrument. Its voice squeals somewhat, but it is not unpleasant. It is almost like music, in fact. I fear we noticed the instrument before we noticed branching early. We were examining it when the branches moved and the tree said hello. We were taken aback, I must admit. Still, it has made an effort. It made a face of sorts in its trunk. A thick, short branch makes a nose with two bowls for eyes and bumps on the trunk suggesting a mouth, eyebrows and even cheekbones. It's a somewhat human face. Torn says it looks like a very old man, which Branching Early said was appropriate, for it is a very old tree. It sees with its leaves, actually, and hears with small fluid-filled bowls in its wood that move with the sound. Apparently, several of the otherwise plum trees learned how to do this and told the rest. They communicate very quickly with each other, and these new senses had given them much more to discuss. They already had senses of touch, of scent, and several others that were useful to trees. After some effort, they had figured out the trade language. They had written at first, and then, when a young smith from a town far away figured out how to make the instruments, learned to speak. There were only a few trees that had them. Branching early was given one in consideration for its great age and wisdom, it informed us proudly. It was very accommodating towards us, in fact. It only asked that we be very careful about our campfires and not to cut down wise plums for firewood. Those were the reasons they had gone through all the effort of learning to hear, to see, and finally to talk. They could expend a certain amount of effort to resist being turned into firewood or lumber, but they were almost powerless against forest fires. They now were determined to instruct everyone in the woods about the dangers of uncontrolled fire. Branching early said, perhaps a bit wistfully, that there is also some small hope that some enterprising soul will discover a surefire cure for bark beetles, but it was not so confident about that. Our own campfire is all that branching early could cope, thanks largely to Torn, who knows of such things. We keep it ringed with stones and clear brush back from it, so that it does not get out of control. Branching was very grateful to us and offered more of its plums. Torn is claiming he's allergic. No matter, they taste good, and this means there is more for me. Skull Day, 24th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn, 87th day in the trees. We are no longer on the path. While we walked, we came across strange fruit that had fallen onto the path. The fruit were the size of Torn's head. The tree from which they had dropped was overhanging the path. It had strange thick bark with stony growths over it. We were coming close when suddenly there was a loud bang and a harsh smell in the air. Lightly the fruit of the petard tree. Such an ingenuitive method of seed dispersal. The fruit of this tree contains several chemicals that are kept separate while the fruit grows on the tree. Once the fruit separates and falls, the barriers between the chemicals break down until they're able to mix. This creates an exothermic reaction 
that produces large quantities of steam within the fruit. The fruit then breaks open explosively, expelling tough seeds like shrapnel, as well as large quantities of an insect-repelling vapor. The seeds travel some distance before settling into the soil, where they can grow into a new petard tree. Something flashed past my face, and I felt pain on the side of my head and wetness as blood streamed down the side. There was a great deal of smoke streaming from where the fruit had been. There was another bang, and Torn fell to his knees. I picked him up and ran, stumbling blindly. There were more bangs, and I could hear the vegetation above us tearing and crashing. Leaves and branches fell across my back, and I dared not stay still. By the time I felt we were safe, we were well away from the path. Torn's calf has a nasty gash, but he is able to walk, and aside from the bleeding, my head is fine. However, I am unsure how we will regain the path. Path or no, we will have to continue on. Erev Day, 24th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn, 88th day in the trees. It is difficult to travel away from the path. We must go around trees, bushes, and other obstacles. There are hills and gullies we must climb, rocks that block the way. Game trails help at times, but they only go so far and twist in strange directions. It's recommended that visitors to the woods stay on the road when at all possible. While many naturalists and explorers have made great discoveries off the beaten path, the dangers of encountering vicious predators, ancient curses, or traveling salesmen increased dramatically. This was to be expected. What I did not expect was how out of place I feel. The path was often dangerous and strange, but it was a place for travelers. I never felt I was an intruder on the path. Here, there is no sign that anyone else has ever passed this way. No ruts from wheels or footprints, no wear on the ground. We are alone with the beasts and the plants. Despite the walls of trees and undergrowth, I feel very exposed. If we are attacked, we will find it difficult to run. A predator could be at arm's length, and I wouldn't know. That is not to say we are shaking in fear at every shadow. I am sure we will make it safely through but I doubt I will relax before we again reach the path. Torn doesn't share my wariness. While he pays attention to our surroundings, he seems almost more at ease here than he did on the path. He whistles, hums, and sings a little. I could tell him not to sing. We do not know what it will draw to us. Yet I cannot bring myself to make him stop. It gives him great comfort. And I must admit, a part of me is comforted as well. His singing is no better than it has ever been, but it is familiar. He is cooking our meal. He managed to be quiet just long enough to catch a few unwary rabbits, so we shall eat well tonight. Pro Day, 24th cycle, 7th year, 81st turn, 90th day in the trees. I have been so worried about beasts or monsters finding us that I fail to think of the danger of the trees and plants. 
Of course, we have encountered dangerous plants before, though most had some other creature within them. The angry little faces in the oaks, or the ants that lived with the flowers, for example. But the path gave us some distance from plants we needed to avoid for the most part. Now that we must push through bushes and under trees, it is much more difficult. We are much more likely to blunder into danger without realising it. We had made our way through a grove of strange, sickly trees. Their bark was grey and their leaves were white. They did not merely twist like most of the trees here, but leaned precariously. They would have fallen if their branches did not reach out and steady themselves on other trees. On closer inspection, these branches pierced and sank into the bodies of other trees, which themselves seemed less vibrant for the contact. Greater mistletoe, Viscum hyario, a species which has grown to resemble the trees that most mistletoe species parasitize. Readers of Taranak Fadler's Ravelwood's Plants, a Diner's Guide, will recognize both the danger and the culinary potential of this plant. But we did not suspect any danger to ourselves, so we pushed through. When we were partway through, we felt the branches trying to curl over us. They were not terribly strong, nor fast, but it was still worrying. It was even more so when we noticed bones scattered at the bottom of the trees. We left the trees as quickly as we could and tried to put it out of our minds. However, not long after, we were both beset by a terrible itch. It soon grew into sharp pains. We looked closely at ourselves and found small white berries clinging to our bodies where the branches had touched us. They had tendrils that were digging into our skin. The tendrils were turning red before our eyes, a red that swirled into the bodies of the berries themselves. We were able to remove them, thankfully. I can imagine that an animal unable to reach them would have far more trouble. What would be its ultimate fate? Would the berries fall off after they had their fill? Or would they continue to suck and grow, the tendrils digging deeper? We will need to be more careful as we continue to stray from the path. From the office of the Wanderers Library Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Noreen Ray. Hmm, you're somewhere you're not supposed to be. My naughty wanderer, you should know better than this. The search for knowledge is an admirable goal, but we have boundaries for a reason. We really can't have everyone walking into restricted areas haphazardly, after all. We'll have some docents arriving at your location soon, so please just stay put. Oh, who am I kidding? You've broken the rules to get this far. Why would you start listening to little old me now? Alas, I'm a doctor, here to help visitors to the library minimise their injuries and illnesses, including you. If you're determined to continue onward with this foolishness, here are a few of the things you should look out for. Night bumps. There's a quaint human expression that references the things that go bump in the night, 
It's mainly used to cover for their species' fear and ignorance of the goings-on of the night. But every so often, the night actually does bump back. Identified by the spread of dark purple, often nearly black, lumps across the body, night bumps are a common affliction for those unprepared intruders venturing into dark, magically dense areas, like our very own library's restricted areas. Being an unnatural coagulation of concentrated darkness, victims suffer from a severe aversion to light. In turn, this aversion often leads to complete seclusion, resulting in growing levels of paranoia. Quite a predicament. Fortunately, night bumps are quite easy to treat if caught in their early stages. Assuming you can even find the person they're trying to treat in whatever dark corner they've hidden in, all you need to do is drag them into the light. Prolonged exposure to sufficiently bright light will burn the infection out. Just be sure to hold them down tightly so they don't escape into the dark again before they're cured. The mental deterioration of the infected is not to be underestimated. Their seclusion in the darker, deeper recesses of the library has been known to produce feral, animalistic behavior. Packs of the infected have been known to prowl the shelves, attacking patrons and staff alike. At this time, we're searching for and removing the infected as fast as we can, but should you encounter any, your best bet is to run or hunker down and brandish your light source until the situation improves. Shelf Sickness The library is much more than just the tomes we put out for everyone to enjoy. Indeed, we have quite a selection that isn't readily available to the general public. Some readers out there might hear this and cry censorship, leaving to find some hidden literature for themselves. But have you considered the library wanted some of those books hidden for a reason? Cognito hazards and cursed items could wreak havoc if not properly contained, and we all know how much the library enjoys its peace and quiet. As such, the library developed some unique self-protection measures, with shelf sickness being the common phrase used to describe the collective effects one may experience when trying to tamper with these restricted books. The library is fair with its punishments, often opting to start with a non-lethal option for dealing with patrons. Shelves have been known to rotate and shift locations in their entirety, trapping patrons in an ever-moving prison of paper and polished oak. You can't find the right book if you can't even find the right shelf. Assuming you can even find the proper shelf, your next hurdle would be to find the desired book. Every book in these areas has been warded to distort words and images, making the contents quite unreadable. The only recourse is to undergo an elaborate ritual to remove any protections on the book, and by the time that's concluded, the shelf will have moved once again. You might say, Dr. Ray, this doesn't sound that dangerous. Well, my dear reader, you may be surprised. Time has proven it to be quite an effective first line of defense against the more snoopy variety of wanderer. Many give up or simply starve in the process of finding the novel they sought. Then there are the more severe deterrents. Odorless poisons, concealed ways ready to transport you to goodness knows where. 
being driven to extreme irritation after being forced to talk to a particularly dumb, masked canine for an extended period of time. Well, maybe that last one isn't quite so bad, but don't let that fool you. These hidden traps are but a small taste of the dangers you may encounter on your crusade for knowledge. Wild Magic It should be blatantly obvious that the library is a magical place, but when something like magic is so frequently used, one tends to lose perspective on its deeper aspects. How it's produced, how it's refined for use. But in the deeper thralls of the library, far away from the notice of average wanderers, wild magic still flows freely. Ancient, absurdly powerful and utterly unwieldy, wild magic coalesces in the unregulated sections where it can remain undisturbed. Although it was from well before my time serving here, I've heard rumours the library once powered itself entirely on wild magic, before settling on a series of much more reliable sources. Given its unpredictable nature, it's difficult for me to write a proper warning on its effects. Those unprepared explorers who come across a pool of wild magic would be lucky to be vaporised on the spot. The less fortunate may see their conscience scattered and torn across the endless currents of eternity, their bodies distorted into horrors the likes of which even the library doesn't have the words to describe. Or perhaps you may just end up smelling like cheese for a while. There's nothing to be said for a cure, as every case is unique. Although, if you're willing to ignore the warnings and go into these areas, you must also be willing to accept the risks you'll be taking. Conversion Corruption The library doesn't have many rules, but visitors are still expected to follow them. Sadly, there comes along the occasional rule-breaker who needs to be corrected. And if you're reading this, then you've likely trespassed far enough to figure out where those rule-breakers go. Do you perhaps see those rows of cocoon structures? Those aren't home to giant moths, but rather the rule-breakers themselves. Don't touch them, or you may come to suffer from conversion corruption. When rule-breakers are restructured to serve their sentences, their mortal forms are deconstructed into a form of primordial soup. And when that newly-born page or docent breaks free of its confines, some of that magical residue from the rebuilding process can be left behind. Conversion corruption is the partial deconstruction and transmutation that occurs as a result of a non-staff member touching this leftover residue. Limbs can elongate or crumple, even splitting into multiple underdeveloped appendages. It all depends on where contact is made. It can be quite disconcerting to see a half-formed lamp begin to grow from your feet. If you do come down with a case of conversion corruption, just remember these tips. Don't panic. Accidentally touching the affected area or splashing around in the sauce puddle will only cause it to spread further. Calmly wash the area clean and wait for the conversion process to stabilize. Don't attempt to cut the area off as it will grow back. Causing yourself more pain won't improve your situation. Your next move should be to report to your nearest staff member so you can be properly converted. It may sound harsh, 
but a full conversion is the only way to eventually revert the changes. Besides, if you're suffering from this most unique variety of illnesses, you were somewhere you shouldn't have been in the first place. You can learn to live with the consequences or pay the price for your arrogance. Well, that was pretty intense. I sincerely hope this guide has helped you navigate around most of the dangers in the inner library. By now, I imagine my fellow colleagues have caught up with you. It saddens me that you won't be needing my guides anymore, but I do look forward to working with you. Let me be the first to say, welcome to the library. This pamphlet is for general instruction only. The Wanderer's Library takes no official responsibility for any disease, natural illness, or injuries a patron may experience during their stay here. They brought that pain upon themselves. Visit these areas at your own risk. Thank you for listening. The Journal of Aphromos Long Journey is written by Dr. Everett Mann. You can browse Dr. Mann's articles and the other works of the library at wanderers-library.wikidot.com. This production is possible in large part because of our sponsors. John Beatty, Yesenia, Crowcat, Rounder House, Land2D, and John Winfield. Check the description to find out how to support this channel and future projects like this. This production and content relating to the Wanderer's Library is licensed under Creative Commons Sharealike 3.0 and all concepts originate from the Wanderer's Library wiki and its authors. This recording, being derived from this content, is hereby also released under Creative Commons Sharealike 3.0. I'm Grigori Carpin from Simply Creative People, the podcast where we discuss GOIs, canons, and stories from the SCP Wiki, and we try to recommend things for all fans of the Wiki, new and old. Look for us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. Visit the show page at anchor.fm slash simply-creative-people, or follow us on Twitter at S-I-M-C-R-E-A-T. Hey there, this is DJ Skip, host of Foundation After Midnight Radio, coming to you from the only third shift broadcast for personnel, by personnel. Be sure to tune in wherever you listen to podcasts to not miss out on containment news and community announcements from within the Foundation.